Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, this is Ruben from Dub, and I have Marilyn Devonch on with me today, who who was actually a very early adopter in Dub, and um, you know I have a lot of gratitude to Marilyn because she's brought us actually a tremendous amount of feedback on the platform. You know, just so you guys have a little bit of context, Dub is a video communication platform that allows you to easily create, share, and track videos. So you can send videos in Gmail, LinkedIn email campaigns, automated workflows, a lot of great stuff, a lot of integrations, but um, I don't think Dub would be what it is without getting Marilyn's feedback because like I said, she was a very early adopter and I thank you, Marilyn, for all the, the great suggestions that you've given us. Oh, Ruben, that is absolutely lovely. I had no idea you were going to say that. That is really, I mean, I love Dub. It, you know when you dream of a product and something you'd really like to be able to do, but you just think, oh, it's probably not possible without a load of work, and then you guys appear, and I'm like, oh my God, I've been praying for that. So I absolutely love the platform, and I think it's fantastic. So I'm really pleased that I've been able to help in some small way with the development of it. Yeah, thank you so much. But uh, this show is actually about you, so I want to I wanna understand a little bit more about you. I, I've definitely been intrigued by your story. You know, I've, I've followed you on Twitter and Facebook and I've seen a lot of your content and I'm captivated by it. Um, I wanna understand it better. I, I've always had an affinity towards transformative thinking and really having that mindset, you know, a successful or success-oriented mindset. And I really wanna understand how you help people. And I want to understand what accelerated learning is. And I want to understand what a soul plan is. So let's just get into it. Tell me a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do. I guess I think I was writing an article today. And I think one of the things that and I open the line, I open with the line of people often say, Oh, my God, I would never have imagined when I tell them a little bit about my background. And often they only know about a tiny section. But if I went all the way back, um, in a nutshell, when I say to people, oh, and it's not necessarily, don't worry, people who are listening, this is not going to be the flavor of the show. But when I say to people I was sexually abused from the age of seven to 17, that always really surprises them because they're like, oh my God, how are you not depressed? When I tell them I contemplated suicide when I was 32, that also surprises people as well because they kind of think that you were born that way in terms of having a lot of energy and being kind of fairly positive and having a, a good outlook on life. And that was not always the case. And I was also uh, diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in my 20s. And my doctor had said, there's nothing we can do for you. The only thing I can do is give you a medical certificate so you can get extra time. I was studying to be a chartered accountant at the time. And I was like, is this what my life is going to be like? And so had I um, sat back and just accepted my lot, number one, I don't think I'd be here. But number two, I think my life would have been really different uh, than it is today. And having overcome many of those, well, all of those things, um, if you'd said to me, I've been doing this 19 years now. So if you'd said to me 20 years ago, this is what I would be doing. And I would be a hypnotherapist and a soul plan reader and all the other things I do. I would have laughed you out of town because I had no knowledge, concept or interest in anything to do with that. I'd done a business studies degree. I'd done a postgraduate marketing diploma with the Chartered Institute of Marketing. 
I was doing the ACCA, which is the accountancy body here in the UK, my life was really different to the one I'm leading now. And it all, I don't believe in accidents. I don't believe in coincidence. I would say, I now call it synchronicity, but by a series of synchronous events, I ended up on a personal development training. And that was the thing that then opened up a whole new world for me. Wow, that's that's a tremendous origin story. Gosh, I mean that's that's a very heartfelt story, and um, I mean it takes a lot of courage to to come out and to tell people that you know these are some of the things that you've gone through in your life. Um, wow, that's amazing. So, talk to me about this idea of synchronicity. I mean, you you've been on a very nonlinear path. I mean, I guess who hasn't, right? I mean, there's very few people that that start their you know education and they start on that path and end up 20 years later in the same exact place. Um, speak to me a little, about that a little bit. How have you been able to adapt and pivot and sort of navigate through life and make the changes that you've made? In terms of synchronicity, I first became, I love the word you use, captivated. I love that word. So I became captivated with the idea of synchronicity when I was 18. I did A-level psychology and was introduced to the work of someone called Carl Jung. Now we were looking at it from the perspective of child development and psychology. However, because I started reading around the subject, I then realized that he was one of the first people to coin the phrase synchronicity. And he called it an a-causal principle. So when you look at synchronicity, there appears to be a cause and effect. It appears that they're related, but actually they've got nothing to do with each other. And and there's no way, you know, and, and for him, one of the stories he used to tell was a story of a scarab beetle where he's doing a session with a client. They're talking about their dream. The client is talking about a scarab beetle and then they hear and he looks at the window and a, a, a completely out of context because they're not even supposed to be in that region. There's a scarab beetle knocking on the window. And so reading those stories, I was like, there is something going on with the universe. And he also talked about what he called the collective consciousness. And for me, I kind of, the way I see it in my mind is there's like a stream of consciousness that is running above our heads, a little bit like the matrix, I suppose. And every once in a while, we get to either dip into it or something comes down and it just puts us in the right place at the right time. And you, you couldn't have scripted it. There's no way you could have orchestrated those things consciously, but yet somehow they all come together. And, and that's for me, I was, well, I was organized. I used to be an event manager. So I was organizing an event place called Kensington Olympia in London. I was speaking to one of my speakers. I was stressed out of my head and I just said, Oh, book this Reiki session at the weekend. I didn't even know what the heck I'd booked. Somebody just said it's good for relaxation. And she says to me, Oh, my mum's a Reiki teacher. And she just goes off on this whole tangent. So we're having this big old conversation and she then, can I, I then mention, because I was also right up until the age of 32, I was very quiet and very shy. I could barely speak to my own family and was terrified of speaking in public. And so she had said to me, oh, we use a company to train our coaches and our consultants, gave me the number. I just rang it one day and it was out of hours. It was like coming up to 7 p.m. So the office would have been closed here in the UK. And a guy answered the phone <laughs> about two hours later. He said, hey, Marilyn, uh, it's been great to speak to you. And my dinner's getting cold. I've got a takeaway sat on the desk. Um, but that's how I ended up finding out about the personal development training. I signed up thinking I'd signed up for a communication skills course. Felt great, even though it's very expensive. And uh, when I got the joining instructions and all the materials, I realized I'd mistakenly signed up for NLP, 
hypnosis and timeline therapy and HUNA. So I was straight on the phone and I tried to get a refund because I said, this isn't what I've signed up for. And they said, come to the training. If you don't, and this is now where I thought, oh, sorry, I don't want to be rude, but I thought this is American hype because he says, come to the training. If you don't get massive value, we'll give you a refund at the end of the seven days. Now I'm, I'm, I'm fuming. I'm like, I'm mad. Um, and so I'm like, I turn up to the training. I'm angry for the first three days. So I'm like, you are wasting my time. I just want my four grand, 4,000 back. We say four grand here in the UK. I just want my money back. And so that's really how I came to be on that training. And so it wasn't planned. It was all just, I thought I was doing this, but I ended up doing that. And then it just, it just rolled from there. Well, I mean, what's really interesting is that I think your initial perception to, to this idea of transformative thinking, you know, hypnotherapy, NLP, I think your initial reaction is the reaction that a lot of people still have because they think it's something that's overly, I don't know, spiritual or metaphysical or sort of lofty and something that hippies do or something like this. But the reality is that, you know, those people who have found um, the value in really going within and... Um, you know, sort of believing themselves on a different level. I think those are the people that are really transcending in our society. I mean, you mentioned Carl Jung. There's this quote that I really connected to, which I'll just recite here. Who looks outside dreams? Who looks inside awakes? Wow. You know, so, I mean, there's this kind of beautiful idea of when we go within, I mean, that's where the transformation happens. We don't need to go and seek things out there in the universe. A lot of it is already um, within us. And, and I believe that there's a whole nother kind of conversation about, you know, meditation and the interconnected sort of consciousness that we all have and, and, and possess. But I, I really want to understand how you help people with this stuff. Because if a lot of people come with apprehension and pause and reserve, you know, how are you able to show them what the value and what the results of some of these great constructs are? I think for me, because I, when I first got into this, uh, the, one of the reasons I'd considered suicide in September 2000, it sounds really crazy. When I say it now, people are like, you were going to kill yourself over a man. I was like, yes, I was. Um, but I had had a, a very messy breakup and I just thought, this is it. I can't, it doesn't, life doesn't feel what, and I was ill at the time. It wasn't the only factor, but you know, there's the, the tipping point. And so I'd contemplated suicide and my partner previous to that had had an affair. So I had had best part of three years trying to repair what was clearly a very broken relationship that culminated in me wanting to commit suicide. So I, this was all happening in September, 2000. I ended up on the NLP training in October, 2000. So just like three and a half weeks later to come out of that training um, having no anger or resentment for my partner and actually taking calls from him where I'm helping him and coaching and counseling him. Um, that was just amazing to me. And I'm like, oh my, and also stuff that I'd had, I didn't know I had it, but you know, limiting beliefs, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not capable enough. I can't do it. My whole life was predicated on that, that, that way of thinking. And so to come out seven days later being completely free of that I'm like oh my god 
I have got to help other people to have the experience that I had. So when I went back to my, my friends and my family and said, hey, look, I know I've been doing the accountancy training for nearly you know, two and a half, three years. I'm giving that up to become a hypnotherapist. They thought I had lost my mind. And one of them said, was it some kind of cult? You know, what's this course you've been on? Because they couldn't understand it. I was like, no, 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 you really don't understand it's a no brainer decision for me because if I can save another person from living the life that I lived from the age of arriving here to the age 32, I kind of feel it's almost my duty to do it because people would often, and I thought it myself with the childhood I had, there's no way to bounce back from that being quiet and shy and introvert. There's no way for me to get in the game and be in life with all the illness and the, what was thought to be early on to Alzheimer's, there's no way now that I can be functional in society. And when I decide, when I discovered that was not true, I was like, man, I've got to show other people how to do this. So again, it wasn't a career choice. I didn't sit down logically and go, well, I think I'm going to give this up and I'm going to, no, no, no. I was just like, it's, it's just done. I've just got to do it. And that was, that was in October, 2000. And as we sit here today, October will be 19 years that um, I've been doing that because it's like, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Cause there's nothing special about me. And majority of people I meet start from a way ahead of where I was. They're not suicidal. They're not depressed. They didn't have Alzheimer's. They weren't abused. You know, you name it, pile it all in there. Most people don't have, they might have one of those things going on, but most certainly not all of them. And I'm like, if I can do it, anyone can do it and, and let's do it. Wow. I mean, that's, that's inspirational. I mean, I think a theme for you and I think part of your superpowers really comes from struggle and it comes from hardship and, and that's real. And the fact that you're able to embrace that and make that part of your origin story. I mean, first of all, it makes me connect to you on a, on a completely different level, but it, but it also makes me feel inspired, you know, that, whatever hardship, whatever struggle that I've gone through in my life, I need to figure out a way to embrace that. And I need to figure out a way to, I think what you do is to really figure out ways to provide help and to provide value to people. Because what I'm noticing is that you went through hardship in your life. Um, and then you went through some transformation and some sort of self-realization. And then I think an epiphany of wanting to help people. And I think that is, I mean, that's the meaning of life. You know, it's, it's loving others and helping people. And Sort of learning from our mistakes. So I commend you on that. And there have been many mistakes, Ruben, trust me. I mean, mistakes still get made to this day, don't get me wrong. And I've, one of the things I'm always saying to people, one of my really big disappointments with personal development, when I put all of that time and money into doing what is called the NLP practitioner, I thought, I'm sorted. No problems. Everything's fine. Life is going to be good from here on in. And don't get me wrong, life is good. However, it didn't make me immune to problems. And it didn't make me immune to the craziness of life. But what it did do gave me bounce back. You know, so my level of resilience is better. My ability to bounce back is better. My ability to pick myself up and, you know, take stock and dust myself off is better. It didn't make me immune to all of those things. But it did mean that my, my I guess my perspective on life and my outlook on life is very different to what it used to be. So um, it's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if when people say to me, is it possible? Cause when I, one of the things I used to get when I first started, people say, Oh, I don't think hypnosis works. And I go, you're absolutely right. It won't work for you. And I just leave the conversation. Um, because it's a, a part of it is a mindset thing. You've got to be open to it at least. Um, and then from there, I think the world is your oyster. 
Hypnosis. Wow. I've, I've got some experience with hypnosis. I, I sort of accidentally ended up at a conference, um, a hypnosis conference, and it was not a choice that I made. It was actually um, my, my father had learned about something and he recommended that I go check this out. So anyways, I get, I get my tickets and, you know, I guess it was a little gift that he gave me and I, and I show up at this conference and I felt really weird. I, it was not something that I was comfortable with. I was definitely a fish out of water. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget this, but, you know, as this person on stage started to, and I wish I could recall his name, it's maybe a well-known person, but as he started to kind of uh, go through his whole sequence, a lot of it was, you know, believe or not believe the, the choice is yours, you know, and he, he went into um, a whole session where he hypnotized, we've all seen this before on YouTube, but, you know, he hypnotized a group of people on stage. And I'll never forget this, but I started to realize that it was this idea, at least from my perception, it was this idea of suspension of disbelief where, you know, if I want to believe that I'm getting hypnotized, I can proactively make that choice and go become a chicken or go fall asleep or go into whatever realm that either this person wants me to go in or I want to go in or, or both really. And that if we sort of just embrace that, that maybe there's some other realm of possibility that we can realize and sort of potentially benefit from. So, you know, I'm still working that out in my mind. Um, I have, I have not been hypnotized in probably, um, I don't know, 10 years. Um, I'm very open to it. I, I don't know if it's possible over a webinar or a, you know, a recording like this, who knows, I'd love to get your feedback, but tell me what hypnosis is to you and, um, you know, how you feel like it can benefit people and really have people understand truly what it is and what it can do for them. One of the things, number one, one of the things I always say to people is like, believe it or not, like it or not, you're being hypnotized every single day, every billboard, every radio ad, every magazine article, every Google ad, if you watch the Super Bowl, why do you think they spend that much money for a 20, 30 second commercial? Because even in showing you those little snapshots, it works. When we first had uh, American Idol, and we've got a version of it here as well called the X Factor. It's only, I say now it's probably been about, I don't know, eight, nine years. But prior to that, let's just say 10 years ago, when those shows started, even though Simon Cowell was sat there with his laptop open, the little circle was grayed out. We all knew what that, what that laptop was, um, but it would have all be grayed out. They would have the canister of drink on the table. That would be grayed out. When they first started to have product placement on TV here, in those kind of TV shows and in the soap operas, the program would actually say at the start, this program contains product placement. They would tell the audience. The reason they would tell the audience that they know the power of the subliminal mind. When you see Simon Cowell lift up that drink, that is a form of mild hypnosis. When you see James Bond whiz across the screen and he's wearing a particular watch, that is a form of mild hypnosis, persuasion, whatever you want to call it. Omega master. <laughs> it's, there you go. You know. Do you know what I mean? Why, why would anybody spend that much money to place a product for five seconds, ten seconds? Because they know the power of the human mind is we can pick things up incredibly quickly and then be influenced by that. And I always say to people, look, the difference between what I'm, because people often say, oh, is it manipulation? I'm like, the difference between what I'm doing and what you might be thinking it is, is that I am 
hypnotizing people to have and achieve and be what they want. So it's not accidental. You're not getting that watch across the screen. You're not accidentally being influenced by whatever the superstar is holding. We are now working with your mind. And the way that if I were putting it in a nutshell, it has your mind work with you and for you rather than against you. Because many people's minds will work against them in terms of, I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. This is hard. I'm afraid. All of that is a form of what I'd call reverse hypnosis. And what someone like myself is doing is having your mind work with you and for you. That's it, really. Sometimes I'm sitting um, in a restaurant or at a cafe or I'm walking down the street. I look at a bus stop and I'll see a group of people on their phones. Right. And, and a lot of the times I'm that person. Don't get me wrong. But I'll just I'll look at people and I'll realize that we're in this zombie state a lot of the times. And it, it, it becomes very abundantly clear to me when I see a, a group of people in this state. It's not necessarily just one person. Because when I see one person, I say, well, this person's just going through their flow and they're trying to be productive. But when I see it on an aggregate level with a group of people, um, it really hits me. And, you know, I, I ask myself, you know, are we being hypnotized throughout our days? You know, when we're getting consumed in this content and, you know, I have to say that with a grain of salt because, you know, I create content too. I'm in that game too. I create it and I consume it. But at what point do we realize that, you know, we're not actually being present in our lives and we're just being hypnotized by that billboard, by that video, by that ad, by that piece of content, you know, by this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So at what point can we break free from that and just you know, live within a fully present realm, you know, I I really connect to the idea that, that you mentioned where it's almost like, here's how I interpret it. Other people can manipulate and hypnotize us, or we can hypnotize ourselves and then better from that process. So speak to me about that a little bit. How can we leverage this idea? Call it whatever you want. Hypnosis, it doesn't matter. It could be introspection. It could be meditation. I don't know what to call it right now. But how can we really capture this vehicle to make ourselves better? One of the thing, one of the exercises I often, um, I call it home play now. I used to call it a prescription back in the day. When I first started, I had a lot of really busy clients. They worked in the city. They worked for banks, um, high pressure jobs, high pressure careers. And one of the things I would say to them, I live basically in London. So we, uh, we have beautiful architecture, as many countries do. And one of the things I'd say to my clients is every once in a while, uh, be that on the way to work, on your way home from work, at, on your lunch break, at weekends, find somewhere safe to stop and look up. And the reason I say look up in a city like London, because above Starbucks is the most incredible architecture, the most incredible sculptures, the most fantastic intricate carvings you've probably ever seen in your life and most of the time people's heads are down or just focus forward so one of the exercises is to stop and look up and find something to appreciate even if it's just for five or ten minutes Um, another thing because clients will often say oh I haven't got five minutes to myself I'm like do you go to the bathroom well of course I do great when you're in the bathroom (laughs) just do some breathing now from a huna perspective there's a thing we call heart breathing where you breathe in through the nose you breathe out through the mouth and you make a heart sound so it sounds a bit like (sighs) 
And if you just did that for 20 or 30 seconds, and you don't have to, I call it the bells and whistles version. You can do a quiet version of that. So the person in the other cubicle isn't looking around going, what the hell is going on here? But just 20 to 30 seconds of hard breathing when you're in the bathroom, it's going to send oxygen to the brain. It's going to reoxygenate the body. And taking a couple of deep breaths, we're already basically hardwired to know that that's what we as humans do when it's time to relax and when it's time to break state. So if clients just did those two things a couple of times a day, that in and of itself would change everything. And when I first started, I would often, you know, I'd be doing 15, 16 hour days. I'd be working 29 day weeks. And that is not a misnomer. That's, a, that's like 29 straight days with maybe a half a day off couple of weeks in and another half a day off here and when you're pulling that kind of schedule and commuting back and forth as well that's a lot so I learned to meditate on what we would call the underground what you guys I think would call the metro or something like that um, or my friend calls it the tea um, but I would learn to I learned to meditate on London underground in rush hour when I'm standing that close to someone because it's like you know I could either wait until I'm on the top of a mountain going om or I could get my act together and realize I've got to maintain my sense of sanity. So I'm a fan of what I call the five minute burst because people often think it's got to be an expanse of time. And I'm like, if you just interjected 30 seconds there, a minute and a half there, five minutes there, the cumulative effect of that is powerful and it can make a massive difference to just your whole state and your, your state of being and a, a range of other things and allow you to also, you know, think clearly and keep your wits about you, even under, under massive amounts of stress and pressure. I, well, I'll definitely take the, I work in Hollywood on the walk of fame, as you might know. So I'm going to take the med meditation in the bathroom as, as really a metaphor because the bathrooms <laughs> here are not really meditation and breathing friendly. <laughs> At least the public ones. But, you know, I, I love that idea of just taking our in-between moments um, just to breathe. Just to breathe because, um, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of our, our truth can be found and that's where a lot of our peace can be found and a lot of our realization. You know, it's those in-between moments. And, you know, I have a lot of those moments. And I try to do this. You know, I really, I really try to, whether it's at, um, whether it's while I'm on a walk or whether it's, you know, before I have something to eat or whether it's, just sitting on a chair or sitting on a sofa, just closing my eyes. Um, but that's really helped me. Um, you know, I, I went actually through the whole process of TM, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So transcendental meditation. Um, and I went through the, the training process and I was really skeptical at first because, you know, this idea of, um, sort of, I don't know, I guess, a, maybe a, a Western based, you know, monetary, not a for-profit, I think it's a non-profit, but still something where you actually have to, you know, pay money to learn how to meditate. At first, I had a lot of pause with that because, you know, my ethnic background is, I'm, my family's from India, ancestors are from India. So obviously meditation goes, you know, way back thousands and thousands of years. The idea of paying to meditate is, I, I had some pause with that, you know, but then I sort of realized that, look, if you're not doing something in your life, you need to go make an investment in that because whatever, you know, sort of philosophies that you have is, is probably a little overly righteous. <laughs> um, you know, it's like saying, I don't want to pay to go to a gym. You know, I don't want to pay for X because I can do it myself. Well, are you doing it? And if the answer is no, well, then you need to go make an investment into yourself. So, you know, I'm glad that I made that investment into the process. You know, I'm 
constantly trying to become better at it, to become more disciplined, um, to become more of a meditator. It's, it's a, I have an affinity towards it. I, I know I could do a better job um, to make that part of my, you know, maybe bi daily routine. So it's, it's definitely, I'm definitely a work in progress on that front. Um, I think the same goes for just exercise and just taking care of myself. You know, we're all busy. I'm like you, I, I work some weird hours and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's important, I think, to find, to find those, those moments. Absolutely. And I, 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 I actually, when you said in between, I used to, for my clients, I often call it tween times as in, <laughs> in between times. And I'm like, look, I don't care who you are. You could be the president or the prime minister. You probably have got two or three minutes occasionally. And when I was really ill, that's one of the ways that I started to change things for myself. I was too embarrassed to go to the gym. And then when I did try to join the gym, they wouldn't accept me because I was too unfit. And my friend's laughing. She's like, Marilyn, I think you are the only person I've ever met who was turned down by a gym. They would not take the money. Um, they said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go to your doctor and you're going to need to get a letter to to say to basically to absolve them of any responsibility should I keel over in the gym um, but what I started doing was I used to watch a lot of television a lot of soap operas and one day I'm sat on the sofa and looking at the state of myself and I was like oh but I can't go to the gym and now I can't afford it and you know all the sort of things and my brain was like the what are you doing in the ad break or oh, nothing well roll out your mat and do some stretches. So in the first ad break, I rolled up my mat, I did some stretches. I'm sat there now, program finishes, there's a gap between that program and the next one that I was gonna watch. And my brain was like, well, what are you doing sitting there? Get on the mat and do some press ups. I was like, oh, okay. Next ad break, my brain was like, what are you doing sitting there? Get on the mat and do some sit ups. And I did that for about six months consistently, just a couple of minutes, couple of minutes. And it, I was in town one day, I met a guy that I used to work with called Bob. And he said, oh, somebody's been working out. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God, he thinks I've been working out. I haven't, I have not joined a gym. And I realized it was all those little five minutes here, 10 minutes there, three minutes there, the cumulative, it took a while, don't get me wrong. I could have done it way faster in a gym, but the cumulative effect over that period of six months was quite astounding. And that is where the idea was born. So a lot of the times when I'm designing stuff for my clients, the exercises and the processes take about five minutes because I know the power of that when you can do it on a consistent basis. Wow. I, I I'm trying to picture you. That's, that's amazing. Um, so, I mean, you, so, so, so let me understand this. So you were turned down by a gym. Wow. Well, what, what, my heart rate, I mean, it's still pretty fast now. I had a number of illnesses at the time. And one of them was my body was under so much stress and so much pressure. My resting heart rate was 220 beats a minute. Uh, That's fast. That's fast. And uh, also I was, even though I didn't look it, when he did the caliper test, he did the calipers like the old fashioned things where they grab the skin and then he put it down and then he opened his drawer and he got something else out and did this other thing. And then he got opened his drawer and he's looking at the chart and he's looking across and he's looking down and he's looking at me. And I was morbidly obese as well. I think I was one of those, um, those skinny fat people where it was all on the inside. Um, and so with that, with being obese on the chart, even though I didn't look 
that bad and with the heart rate as well that combination they were just like I'm sorry no <laughs> we're, we're not we're, we're not going to do that so I had to go back to my doctor and get a letter which I then gave to Holmes Place and then they were able to give me membership but yeah things were not good <laughs> things were not and that was only in my 20s you know it was bad <laughs> incredible transformation and that's really what so when, when you know when I came up with the name transformation I was um again I was it was one of those I'm on the train my accountant had given me six weeks to come up with a name because he said we we're going to register a company when you you know blah blah couldn't think of anything couldn't think of anything and I'm on the train I'm like three stops away before I have to get off and he was going to pick me up at the station I'm like dear god give me something and then I could just see the words transformation, but T-R-A-N-C-E as in hypnotic trance formation. And that's basically how it came about. Um, and I went to a networking meeting the following week and I'd had this vision of a water drop because the way I saw my work, I'm like a catalyst. I'm going to come in and, and do something in your world. And then the ripple effect is going to keep going in your life for years and even decades after we've, we've worked together. And I was at a networking event the following week. Um, they had people doing like 30 second pitches for who were members. I wasn't a member. I was just a guest. And a woman stood up and said, my name's Julia. I'm a web designer. So, oh, cool. And she said, I'm a printer as well. So I go up to her after the, you know, formal presentations and I just try to describe my vision to her. And I says, well, I can see this water drop. And she went, hold on a minute. She went, um, she started fumbling in her bag. She went, we're changing our company logo. Do you want it? She holds it up. It's a picture of the water drop. Um, the, and I, it wasn't exactly as I'd seen it in my mind. And I says, kind of. And I said, but could you do this and could you do that? So she did some tweaks to it. And that is basically um, the logo. Hold on. <laughs> so that's what I ended up with. Um, you know, that's the water drop that I ended up with. And I've Love got it. a card on my shelf over there, which was the original. But if I put them together, they're pretty close. And that's what I mean about synchronicity, where I have this idea oh my God, I'm going to have to get somebody to design it from scratch. I meet a woman who's already got it and she's changing the logo. So she just gave it to me and made some tweaks. And that's really how the transformation thing came about. But I'm thinking that's what it's about. It's transforming mindsets and hearts. It started one person at a time. And now obviously, of course, working with groups and the webinars and, you know, having clients all over the world, because I work on telephone and Skype nowadays. So, but that's how it all started with thinking it's about transformation. That's what it's about. Love that. I mean, we have so, we, we all have so much opportunity to transform. And, uh, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking how, how a, you know, I can transform myself, how I can upgrade myself, how I can, you know, be on my best path and be my, my best self on my best purpose, but then also empower others. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, for me, I think it really comes down to storytelling because we all have stories. I mean, just here in this conversation, you know, I've heard so many great stories about you that really compel me to just want to be a better person and want to learn more about you. And I think that idea of storytelling and relationship building has been a, a really big part of my um, inspiration, you know, um, when, when I started to build the kind of early architecture for, for, for dub, the, I, the premise was very simple, be an email, instead of writing an email, click a button, send someone a video, share your story, no frills, no nothing, no fancy buttons, just, just a video and just listen to that video. 
Um, and then I started to realize that, well, there's, there's a lot more than just storytelling. There's paths that we have and paths that we offer to people. And, um, and it's, I think it's there when, when a lot of the different types of, I think, really mindset thinking, um, but then also sort of technical opportunities arose, you know? So I, I look at some of the stuff that, that you're into, like, for example, NLP. A lot of people don't know what NLP is. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a student of this. I'm still trying to understand it. You know, I've heard it used for positive. I've heard it used for negatives. Um, neuro-linguistic programming. You know, the way that I understand it is really just changing the way that someone thinks to, to help them achieve something. You know, that's my interpretation of it. Um, unfortunately, I've seen it used for not so good things, you know, as well. Um, I've seen it used for both. I mean, I think that with, I mean, just to quote, you know, in the Spider-Man film, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So speak to me a little bit about NLP, what it is, you know, how, why should people understand what it is and how they can benefit from it and use it for social good? And you're right, it stands for neuro-linguistic programming. And it's about how the, the mind and the body and the brain kind of interact with each other and how you can change that through your language. Um, because our neurology is affected by our language, both what we say out loud and also what we say to ourselves. And the way I think about um, NLP is like having an understanding, having a manual, which is like the software that, because we, we, we can do lots of things for our physical body, but NLP was like having a manual for the software that runs the body, that runs the brain. And it's about being able to create new strategies, new ways of being, new beliefs. And of course, there are lots and lots of processes within NLP as well. And um, again, that's another thing people used to say, as well as, oh, I don't believe hypnosis is going to work. They then have the thing about, oh, NLP, I've seen that used in a terrible way. I'm like, look, dude, this is a letter opener. I could use the letter opener for the purpose for which it has been designed, which is to open my letters, or I could, you know, hit someone with it. It's not the letter opener that is the problem. It's who has the letter opener in their hand and what is their intention for it. So I put NLP into exactly the same category. It, in and of itself, it is a very useful tool and skill set. And like anything in life. I could use the analogy of a hammer, a brick. You could use a hammer and a brick to build a home for someone and give them a roof over their head. Or you could use the same hammer and a brick to bash someone up. It's not the hammer and the brick, it's who's behind it. And so the same for me with, with it is with NLP, but it's basically looking at how your language affects your neurology. And it's almost like the programming and software system that runs the brain and runs the body. And for me, super useful, both in the context of personal development and also in the context of the stuff that I do in corporations, because I started working as a, a management consultant and something we call it, call it a Prince to project manager here, which is a de facto project standard for central and local government, which is where I work. And I would also be using NLP, not labeling it as NLP, but when I'm going into design and deliver corporate workshops. And what it did is it, it just kind of raised the bar such that people expect often on a corporate training, they'll come in on what, you know, nine 30, 10 o'clock in the morning, sit there and be bored out of their brain for five or six hours and then they can get back to their desk. And I've actually had people say to me at the start of the training, because I go around saying, you know, why are you here? What's your key objective? Da, 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 da. And I've had people go, my manager sent me. 
or I'm here for the tea and coffee. I swear that's exactly how they said it. At the end of the training, they'll come up and go, number one, I'm really sorry for how I behaved earlier today. And they'll say that is the best training course I've ever attended. When are you coming back? Um, and the reason it's the best training course they've ever attended is because I've layered in NLP. And I've layered in uh, some of the kind of more persuasive language and I've layered in strategies such that I'm helping them to change their mindset and change their brain in record time. So by the time they walk out the door at 4.30, their lives have changed. Their mindset is different or something they've been stuck with forever has now shifted and changed because of what I've layered into it. And often people come up at the end and go, so Marilyn what else do you do? And I'll go, well, I'm going to be running emotional intelligence next week. And we do, you know, presenting with confidence and critical thinking and decision-making. And I teach creative thinking. And I'd listen and I go, no, no, no. What else do you do? Because they get that I wasn't their regular trainer, but I would, you know, did everything. I was suited and booted, did my job. I wasn't doing any fancy, crazy, scary, weird stuff. And still people would go, this is mind blowing there's something going on here. And that's where I would then have the conversation and say, well, you know, I'm an NLP practitioner and trainer. And so what we did today was a strategy for this and did that. And we did a kind of a, what you call a submodalities belief change. And they're like, whoa, um, amazing. So for me, it has been incredible for getting rapport with people, getting onto their wavelength and then being able to deliver in a way that resonates with them because it's also about the learning styles and understanding even just from what people say what's going to be the way to communicate with them so that it lands with them so that they get it so that they can make use of that information and even what you're doing with regards to dub you are tapping into that because you're allowing us to be visual because we're on camera there's the linguistic side we are speaking and using our voices there's the auditory side because somebody's going to receive that video, they're going to hear it. And then there's the kinesthetic side where they feel amazing that you have done a personal video just for them. Bang, bang, bang. That ticks off four of the NLP boxes. The only thing it's not necessarily doing is the gustatory and the olfactory, which is smell and um, taste, but it hits off all of the other learning styles criteria. And I think that's one of the reasons why what Dub has created is so powerful. Well, we actually are getting ready to launch something called Dub Flavors. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Where we're gonna send scents and flavors over the, over the wires. <laughs> um, that, was, that was a tremendous breakdown. Uh, I learned a lot from that. Um, so is there, is there sort of a little NLP um, sort of a practice and exercise that we can do? Is there something that we can do just here in this, in this call? I don't mean to put you on the spot, but if there's, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued. So, so uh, give me a bit of call. So what would, if there's something you go, that would be so cool. What would that be? What would that be? If you went, oh, I'd love to do that. What would it be? Um, well, okay. So we, we are actually getting ready to, to launch something at dub, which is going to be kind of, kind of big. It's going to, it's basically, this is a working title, not married to it. It's called dub leads. Yeah. And, this whole idea, of course, there's a double entendre in there. <laughs> a little pat on the back, <laughs> a little selfish. But, um, it, it's this idea of, you know, dub being used as um, a really positive um, lead generation tool. Now, a lot of people already use it for that, but there's a lot of kind of features that we're going to make available. 
um, like forms and you know both forms on the dub pages, but then also third-party forms. There's this idea of you know integration of contacts to LinkedIn and Facebook. You know LinkedIn and Facebook um, lead gen ads they work like a champ. They're incredible. Um, so we started to use our own product to get leads imported from Facebook, from LinkedIn, and then go through that sort of automated workflows. Um, so the direct import of a contact is really, it's really powerful because imagine paying a really cost-effective price for a lead Facebook and then having them receive a personalized video and then sort of moving them down your funnel. So one of the things that I'm trying to do is, and it's still very embryonic, it's, it's really to figure out a way to convey what this value prop is, what's the, what this feature set is so that people can really understand, well, okay, great. It's pipes and it's ones and zeros and it's tech and it's some cool stuff, but it's also a different way of thinking and a different way to essentially automate your marketing, which is, you know, direct sort of nurturing, educating, delighting leads that come into your funnel, you know, with video so that you can move them down convert them and make long lasting clients with them. And then of course get referrals. So I think we're just going through that process of figuring out the way to communicate this. So I'm trying to think outside the box a little bit. I'd love to get your feedback. And it's, it's one of those things, even, you know, one of the things that NLP is known for is something called values. And basically you can just say to someone, what's important to you or what's important to you about X. And they're going to, as they speak, they're going to tell you what their values are. They're going to tell you what's important. And then you hear that information, you scoop it back up and then you deliver something that kind of meets their needs and meets their values. So one of the ways, let's say that you might use um, NLP in that process is asking someone a few very simple questions. Um, one of the questions I really, really love, which is very, very um, telling in terms of how you can motivate someone and have them feel good um, and it's a question I often ask when people are depressed and they're down and la la la. I say, but you managed to get out of bed. Well done. And I say, what's the thing that gets you out of bed? What do you say to yourself? And people, they'll go, oh, I don't know. I don't say anything. I say, but something must happen. If you're depressed, you've been in bed all day. So something must happen between you're in bed and you're now standing up and you're out of bed. And then they'll tell you what they say to themselves. And even in just that little statement, like for me, it would be something like, oh, come on, Marilyn. And so I know now if I want to get myself to do something, I go, come on, Marilyn. And, and in NLP, there's a thing also called anchoring, where you think about a time where you felt amazing where you felt good, where you achieved something, where you were really proud of yourself. And that can be any time. And it can be a time when you were seven years old. It can be a time that was seven hours ago. And you get yourself back into that state. So you bring in what we call the submodalities. What do you see? What did you see going on? How did you feel? What did you hear going on around you? What did you say to yourself? What was, you know, were there, you know, any tastes, any smells, any colors, any textures? And you get people to fully step into that and live it and breathe it and just be in the moment. And then you get them to step out of it again. So you're now kind of going, I know what that feels like. I'm not there yet, but I can be there. And I know when um, we were teaching things like presentation skills, if people are terrified of public speaking, and I know a lot of people don't like to be on video, say, so think of a time where you were confident. Think of a time where you were calm. Think of a time where you were kind of Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm on top of the world kind of feeling. And anchor yourself into that state. And then from that state, do your video. From that state, 
give your presentation. From that state, go to the network meeting. Um, from that state, go to your interview. Because it is amazing how just the power of thought can change everything. And that's what fears and phobias are. People have a thought about whatever it is that scares them, and it can bring on a whole avalanche. But the spider or the, the stage or the microphone is nowhere in sight in reality, but your brain can create this whole thing. And with NLP, you can kind of just flip it the other way and go, okay, what do I want to create here? How do I want to feel? And also by the same token, I say, how do you want your recipient to feel? If you want your recipient to be excited, if you want your recipient to be thoughtful, if you want your recipient to kind of go, hey, this is serious, be in that state when you create whatever you're going to create. So, I mean, normally I am excited and a little bit hyper, um, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to go to a, if I'm a keynote speaker and they want me to come in and whip up the crowd, I need to be in that state myself. I can't just intellectually tell you about how to get motivated. I don't need to live it and breathe it. And then by that, I don't even need to do very much. I barely need to open my mouth because people then get the energy and the vibe of that. So those are some of the things that you could do straight off the bat in terms of incorporating elements of NLP into what you're doing and what you're creating. And with people who are using dub, use those strategies so that your video is alive and it conveys the thing you want it to convey to your audience. So I, I mean, your, your confidence is amazing. Um, you're obviously, you obviously have a lot of experience with public speaking. Uh, a lot of people do not have that. They don't have experience public speaking. They don't have experience being on video. Um, it's not something that they've done. They've consumed a lot of content. They've seen the videos on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and whatnot, but they've never been on that flip side. And we actually receive this feedback from a lot of people. Um, where they don't feel comfortable being on camera. They don't be, feel comfortable being that sort of personality. That's meant for the influencers. That's meant for the Maryland's of the world. So what kind of suggestions can you give people to, and I think you already did. I mean, it's going to that comfortable, confident place in your life, but, but how can you activate people and how can you really inspire people and educate people to, to realize, A, what the value of communicating in this format is, but then also to be comfortable doing so. Ruben, I was terrified. When I say terrified, I mean, I mean, the way, there was a, a well, you know, you have those defining moments in your life. I used to be terrified of public speaking. I used to even speaking to my own family. I would talk to them like that with my head down, and I basically talked to my own feet. Um, and so the thought of speaking to even one or two people would terrify me, and I just couldn't do it. And <laughs> I was working in a job we used to communicate via you would invite me to a meeting i would go back to my desk i get my paper diary i put you in my diary then i'd ring you up and go it's in the diary and so when people used to ask me to even speak at meetings to present back my findings for a report i would say yes i would go back to my desk i would open my diary i would write something in my diary then i would phone them up and go i'm so sorry i've got something in the diary um, when that wasn't possible, when we then got this thing called Lotus Notes, and Lotus Notes was the first time the office was connected. It's a form of internal email. Um, so my next trick was I would say to the person who wanted me to speak, I'd say, actually, I've never really done this before. You're such a brilliant speaker. Can you do it this time? 
I'll watch you and then I can do it next time. And then next time the cleaning never came because I would get crafty. There was one occasion where none of my tactics worked and I had to then present at a meeting. I was running, I was organizing a distributor conference in Cyprus and all I had to do was tell the team where I was at. So I'm terrified. I'm sat at my desk. I get a call from a woman called Rashmi in accounts. I pick up the phone. I went, hello. My voice had gone, completely gone. My boss comes out, a guy called Glenn Ricketts. He says, Marilyn, the meeting's in 10 minutes. And I went, I've lost my voice. And he went, you all right? And I said, I don't know. And so he said, oh, give me your notes. I'll present for you. So he takes my notes. He goes to the meeting. I'm working away. I look at the clock and it's like 12.20. And I realize the meeting's finishing at 12.30. I'm typing away. Rashmi rings me back. I went, and I realized my voice had come back. And in that moment, I realized that my fear of public speaking was so great that my body had just like shut itself down. And then for the rest of the day, which truly was painful, I had to pretend that I'd lost my voice because if I suddenly started speaking normally, they would then realize what had happened, but I didn't do it on purpose. I genuinely didn't do it. But that was the first moment I really thought this has gone beyond being a little bit shy because if there's a thing called MBTI Myers-Briggs type indicator I am off the chart introvert so I would say to anyone who's watching you don't have to be an extrovert you don't I always say when I'm teaching presentation skills you don't have to have done a Lady Gaga and been born that way you can learn the skill and not just learn it to get by. You can love it such that the problem nowadays isn't getting me to talk. It's getting me to shut up, you know? So I know, I know it's possible that you can learn the skill and you can also work on removing the fears and the worries and the anxieties that sit behind that. So when I first started coaching, I did relationship coaching because I was helping people get over heartbreak and breakups. And the thing I ran in parallel was that was teaching people presentation, public speaking. And the, the thing that surprised me, I got a lot of people, a lot of men um, who were fathers of the bride, who were best man. Now they're all boisterous, but the thought of being the father of the bride and doing the speech or doing the best man speech was secretly terrifying to them. So I did a lot of work for the first nine years that I was in practice doing that. But I'd say to people, no, it is possible to change and know that it is possible to actually love speaking because one of the things I always say, look, we all have a gift. If you have something that can help even just one human being live a happier, more fulfilling, more satisfying life, then I always feel like there's kind of a duty of care in a way to share it. And when you get over yourself and think about your audience and what you're doing for them, what you're imparting for them, no longer are you in the spotlight, the only one, you'll think about what's the message I'm here to convey. Get on and do that, think about yourself later. Um, and when you kind of come at it from that point and just, and I say to people, don't try and think about being on camera, just talk. Because I can talk to someone, they could be standing right next to me, we have the most brilliant conversation. Then I see them on camera, they're like, um, and um, well, uh, and I'm like, dude, just talk like you're talking to me. And the first time I ever did live TV, I think I was really lucky. Number one, I didn't know I was doing live TV. I thought I was just going in to look around the studio and I'd never done live TV in my life. And then she leaves me on my own after doing the intro. There's me in a, in a black room, two cameras, no cameraman, because they're in the booth over there. <laughs> and I'm talking to myself and my brain was like, 
oh my God, what am I going to do? And then another part of my brain, because I've got a chatty brain as well that kind of figures stuff out. It just said, talk, to your, talk like you're talking to a person. And the feedback I got, because I was messaging people on the train going, oh my God, I'm going to be on Sky TV. Um, they watched it and they said, oh, I felt like you were talking to me. And I'm like, that's one of the secrets. Just talk to one person. Imagine you're talking to your friend and that's what people will get and get over yourself. Don't think about yourself. Think about your audience is kind of, you know, a few things I would say about that. <laughs> I really connect to that. Don't think about yourself. Think about your audience. And then the next level is think about the value and the service that you're providing. I really, Absolutely. I really think that. What is a weird brain? You mentioned that earlier. <laughs> my weird brain doesn't let me get away with crap. Um, like my weird brain, like the other day, this is the honest truth. I'm sat right here where I'm sitting now and I'm like, oh, it's because we don't get much summer in the UK. I'm like, oh, the weather's so cool. I'm going for a walk. My weird brain was like, oh, I don't think so. Put your trainers on. I was like, but it's so lovely. It's like you're, you're going into town, jog there. And then literally it said, have you seen the size of your ass? And I was like, done trainers are on so the weird part of my brain is always watching and if I'm trying to you know cut a few corners get away with stuff like the other day I, we have you know rubbish collection trash day I'm like I'll just bring the bins in the other part of my brain's like actually look at those leaves on the path go and sweep them up and I'm like but I'm just about to watch a video it's like the video will be there in 10 minutes and you're only going to have to move the bins twice. They're already in the street. Go and sweep up. So the weird brain is like watching. And when it realizes that you could do better than this, Marilyn, it will chime in and give its input. Now, of course, I could ignore that. But I have to concede that the weird brain always has brilliant ideas. And so I'm like, cool. I'll put my trainer's on. I'll jog into town. Cool. I'll get the broom. I'll sweep the leaves. So it's almost like, it feels like there's another little person in there who is like, come on now, you can do better than this. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like that's your, your, maybe your better self or some idea of, of, of accountability, really self-accountability. Absolutely. But it's like a comedy act sometimes. Cause it's like, really? But, you know, come on. And it's like, oh, all right then. <laughs> you know, so it, it kind of keeps me on, it keeps me on track. <laughs> oh, cool. That's so cool. It's, well, I just got some insight into Marilyn's brain. So that's like the movie uh, Being John Malkovich, you know, I just got a portal into your brain. How cool is that? It's weird in there. Trust me. It's like, it's like a whole other universe in that brain. Um, but I love it because that is the brain that creates stuff. That's the brain that comes up with ideas. That's the brain that wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and goes, dude, I've got this brilliant idea. Get up, do a mind map, get downstairs, create the page, get it into the world. And that is the part of the brain that gets stuff done. And sometimes I just think I'm along for the ride. <laughs> love it. Uh, give us some guidance on on creating a mind map. You mentioned that. I like that. My, I love mind maps. I let me show you. Hold on, it's here. Cool. He, he, unfortunately, he's just passed away. He he died a few months ago. This is the original mind. My original mind mapping book from a guy called Tony Buzan. Um, the picture on that. Let me just show you a bit closer. He must have been about twenty. He was in his 70s when he passed away and I was lucky enough to meet him a few years ago and he signed it for me and did a you know, little creative drawing to Marilyn Love Tony. Oh, I got cool. this book when I was 12 years old and I absolutely fell in love with it because the premise and the idea is when you're taking notes, rather than doing the linear left to right notes, you create pictures 
and, and diagrams and use keywords and phrases. And the way that you do it is you're creating uh, your notes more in alignment with the way the brain works. The brain tends to be more expansive and kind of goes out and goes off almost in like little tangents. But when we're doing linear notes, we're forcing ourselves into um, a kind of a logic that the brain doesn't necessarily use. And so with the premise with mind mapping is you have your central idea in the center of the page, and then you have branches and strands coming off of that where you're capturing the key ideas. The closer to the center it is, the more it's related to the core idea, the further away it is. It's related, but not essential. So if you had a mind map of what you were just saying about the contacts with the LinkedIn, et cetera, dubs in the middle, press a button, video is close to the center, and maybe two or three branches away is the idea of contacts and you know advertising and all the rest of it. But it's just, it's a really wonder, because even when somebody says, I'm not visual, we are quite visual creatures. A picture paints a thousand words. If I drew, um, let's say, a red love heart on my mind map, you will know that's something to do with love, relationships, people, communication, whatever. So it's a way of activating your brain. It improves your memory. It improves both the logical side of the brain and the creative side of the brain, because they have to work together. The logic will decide on where to put things on the mind map. The creative side of the brain will then come up with the wonderful pictures and graphs and diagrams that you can use with regards to your mind map. So when I'm designing workshops, training courses, I don't so much use it now when I'm writing magazine articles, I just do a download. Um, but back in the day, whenever I was creating something, I would always start with a mind map because it allows more freedom to express yourself creatively rather than getting stuck in, oh, you know, I've got to do that in the right order and do that. It's much more expansive and you don't have to be an artist as well. Just stick men, stick women will be more than sufficient to, you know, create your first mind map. But discovered it at 12. I teach it now. It's really lovely that it's part of photo reading, but I've been a fan since I was 12 years old because it just changed so much for me as I wasn't particularly, you know, academic in the traditional. I was all right, but I wasn't like a superstar or anything like that. I just, you know, I just get, just scrape by with a, a C, a, a B or a C and, and it kind of next leveled things for me and really helped me improve my memory. Tremendous. So speaking of your, your practice, where can people find you? Uh, give us a URL, give us a website. The website, I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's www.transformationstm.com. So trance, T-R-A-N-C-E, as in hypnotic trance, formations, F for Freddie. So F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N-S, TM as in trademark. So transformationstm.com. And on social media, it's forward slash Marilyn Devonish. Marilyn is M-A-R-I-L-Y-N. Same spelling as Marilyn Monroe. And Devonish is D-E-V for Victor, O-N-I-S-H. The only place that's different is on Instagram. And it's the Neuro Success Coach. Because one of the things I'm passionate about is understanding about, you know, neuroscience, the way that the brain works. And then putting that together with personal development, hence the neuro success, but forward slash Marilyn Devnish, and you will normally find me um, doing weird and crazy stuff. And I'm going to answer one of the questions that you asked me beforehand before we wrap it up. You asked me about a soul plan um, and your soul plan. The way my clients have described it, it's like the blueprint of your life laid out on four or five bits of paper. 
um, that's what I'd say about the soul plan. It's about who you are, what you what you've been through, because it's almost like a retrospective. It tells you, literally lays it out. What are some of the blocks? What are the barriers? What are the limitations? What are the challenges you're facing as you move to the next levels of your life? And then it lays out a path for what's your potentiality and why are you here? And what is your soul destiny? So I love the soul plan. All you need is someone's birth name uh, to whip it up. And then you create their soul plan report and kind of, I do the, the sessions via telephone or Skype, but it is fascinating to read. And when I read my soul plan, it just explained my whole life. I was like, oh man, wish I'd had this 10 years ago. Might have saved me some hassle. But I don't believe that because I think some of the experiences we go through, it, they shape and they make who we are. I don't think I would be who I am if I'd bypassed, you know, some of those experiences. But yeah, fascinating stuff. So is that, I'm intrigued once again, is that something that uh, we could do in this call or is that something that we should schedule a time to do later? We'd schedule a time to do. So what you'd need to do, you'd need to send me, uh, when I say your birth name, it's the full name on your birth certificate. Okay. When I first did my soul plan, I just did it because I only call, I call myself Marilyn Devonish. I have a middle name. I never use it. Don't like it. So I did my soul plan on Marilyn Devonish and I read it and I was like, I'm looking around, everybody's going, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm like, this is like a bloody horoscope. You know, it's so general. It, 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 it did resonate, but I'm like, nah. and then halfway through the practitioner training, he kept saying birth name, birth name, birth name. I went, I'm sorry, when you say birth name, what exactly do you mean? And he said the name on your birth certificate. I was like, oh my God, I said, this isn't my birth certificate. And so they got me another soul plan report halfway through the training. They handed it to me, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? I had goosebumps. I was like, this, it talked about, you know, blockages of my throat chakra. It talked about being in denial. It talked about the tendency for suicide. It talked about one of the breakthroughs. It said I had a lot of spiritual gifts. It said I was a channel. It said I was a clairvoyant. It said a load of stuff. However, it said to, in order to, to step into that, I would need to sort out the throat, the throat, what was going on with the throat chakra. I would need to let go of some of my fears and worries. And it literally laid everything out. Um, and it literally, I was like, I've done that. I've done that. Oh my God. It said I was, you know, destined to be a teacher and a, a you know, a, a nurturer. Literally it, hang on, have I got it here? One sec. Um, let's give you a rough idea. I think it's in this folder. Oh yes, that's me. <clears throat> give you a quick, just to give you a little example. So it said, um, worldly challenges, this is when you come into the world, age zero to 30, 35. For me, denial of spirituality, severely critical, self-loathing, perfectionist, feels alienated, insecure, must work to establish self in the spiritual. However, the attributes that I had once I sought that out was having good yin-yang balance, as in male and female balance. I could be an excellent healer, inventive, have power, have many spiritual abilities, vocal expression, channel, and possible service incarnation. The 10-1 energy, which is my worldly challenge, is also the energy of suicide. Um, and so when I look at that, I'm like, oh my God. Now, when I read the top bit about being a healer, having many spiritual abilities, vocal expression, possible service incarnation, people go, well, that's who you are. I'm like, you don't understand. That is not who I was until 
I got over the denial of spirituality until I got over hating myself until I got over the self-loathing and still I got over the because I felt like an alien I didn't feel like I belonged in this one I didn't even feel like I belonged in my own family so when I now read the soul plan I'm like that was then this is now so it goes through your worldly challenges your worldly talents your worldly goals it does the same for your spiritual which you tend to transition into from age you know 30 35 and it doesn't mean you're going to sit on a hill doing om it just means that you've sorted out some of the basics or i'd say some of the more earthly stuff and you now if we think of it in terms of maslow's hierarchy of needs there are just other things that you become interested in but when i read my soul plan it's like yep that was me um, um, when it says my worldly worldly talents the challenges there were things like being um, ungrounded manipulative difficulty fitting in victim of abuse and right foot issues which cause problems with stepping forwards again that was my entire life I always wanted to try and do things could never do them and when I sought that out the characteristics and attributes that come into play. I'm pioneering, intuitive, spiritually open, adventurous, assertive, articulate, visionary, and creative. And so there are seven different aspects of the soul plan. So you get like your soul plan chart. So it has a little kind of chart um, and then it explains all of the um, dimensions. But yeah, all I would need if you want to do one um, is your birth name, the name on your birth certificate. And then we can we can put a soul plan report together. You can have a look and see what you think. Ooh, I'm intrigued. And where can other other folks um, take advantage of something like this? Just is Absolutely. There, is... So it's on the website. So there's um, a tab which says something. Um, I'll have a quick look. Look at my own website. Um, so, oh yeah, sorry. It says archetypes and soul plans. So you go onto that. So once you're on transformationstm.com, uh, click on soul transformation and integration, and then it takes you to uh, the place where I do the soul plan. So people get a PDF report and a word version, and then we actually do the session via telephone or Skype, um, or in my online sort of video webinar training room if people wanted to do that. But I use it as a really good starting point because it can be really specific. It can tell you the limiting, the specific limiting beliefs. It can, it's so specific. It's really popular in Japan. And I think one of the reasons they love it in Japan is because it is so precise because they like things to be precise. So they're not necessarily looking at it from a big spiritual point of view they like the precision and they're able to pinpoint what's stopping you what's blocking you what are the limiting beliefs and what specifically can you do to resolve that to sort that out so I basically often use it as a diagnostic before I do a bigger breakthrough session for example so give us some of the um, specific services that you provide I think that's a, a good good uh, something that people should definitely know about i mean i have a sort of a list right here but it's probably better if, if you do i see um, mediation arbitration leadership development i'll let you kind of go through that yeah so there's that side there's the management consultancy side which is all of those things going into organizations and designing and delivering leadership development training corporate away days executive coaching mediation where you know teams or managers are fighting so there's, there's that side and then with the esoteric side it started off with the nlp the hypnosis the timeline therapy i then became intrigued with this thing called huna h-u-n-a some people know it as ho'oponopono so went out to hawaii a few times to study huna um, i do tarot reading soul plan reading 
um, past life regression, future life progression. Oh my God, the DNA theta healing. The list is, is long photo reading and all the accelerated learning stuff, archetypal profiling. So over the years, I would say I probably do about 20 different therapeutic modalities uh, because I realized number one, one size didn't fit all. And I wanted to have more flexibility. So when someone was coming to me, I wasn't just going, well, I've got to try and fit you into this box in order to help you. It's like, I need, so even like, we mean things like EFT, which is like the, um, the, the kind of tapping. I don't necessarily use all of those things in my daily life, but when I meet a client who's very kinesthetic, for example, I'm like, man, this will totally be for you. And so over the years, I've expanded the repertoire. So when I look at my soul plan, it says you'll have many spiritual gifts and be spiritually open. I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, that couldn't be more accurate now. So yeah, the list, the list is long and varied. And I say the one thing for me that's been the absolute constant is the photo reading and the accelerated learning, because that you know, next leveled things for me because people, you know, in the, some of the tech groups we're in, I don't know how it's happened, but I'm a, I'm a I'm tech guru girl where if anybody wants to know about tech or have you tried this program or how does this work? And I literally get tagged in every day. Oh, ask Marilyn. Oh, Marilyn will sort that. Oh, Marilyn's used that software. Marilyn's implemented that technology. And if I haven't, I'll go and have a look. Um, and one of the things that really turned it around for me was the photo reading and the accelerated learning. And, you know, the premise of that one is how to read at 25,000 words per minute, how to photo read a whole book from start to finish in five minutes, and then using strategies to be able to remember and recall what you've read. And I'd say of the, you know, some of the, in terms of what I call game changers, the NLP practitioner was a game changer and hot on its heels was the photo reading, which just you know, change my life beyond recognition. I think that's the thing that's given me the capacity to be able to study all of these other things and not just study them and go, oh, that's nice, but actually implement them. Because I think where life gets interesting, you said it yourself, if you are, you can know lots of stuff, if you're not doing it, when you're talking about your resistance to paying for meditation, to have all this information, have all these skills, you know, be surrounded by books and audios and all the rest of it if you're not using it and implementing it then it's kind of a little bit useless so you know that's the way that I've been able to take a lot of these things on board and assimilate them so yeah there's there's a lot there's a lot that happens in um in my world <laughs> well John Lennon said life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans <laughs> And I think what we've learned from this is that, you know, while we are busy, it's important to take the time um, to breathe, to think, to introspect, um, to invest into ourselves, to understand that there's a lot of great vehicles, a lot of great methods. We discussed a lot in this, in this call, in this podcast. And uh, I'm a fan, Marilyn, and uh, I'm going to do more research on your site. I, I can't wait to publish this podcast. I'm going to make sure to include um, a link to your website and also to your um, LinkedIn profile. And uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this time. Oh, Ruben, I'm a massive fan of, of you guys at Dub as well. I love the videos. I love the sound bites. I love the, the platform that you've created. If anybody is watching this and you don't have Dub, um, it's, it's just incredible. It's amazing. It's fantastic. And it has given a whole new level of connection to myself and 
perspective new clients and even existing clients because I'm going to start doing things like birthday messages and all that sort of thing as well I did a Christmas one last year where I did it was more of a generic one wishing you all a fabulous Christmas and I put that you know you can put the individual names in but I'm a massive fan of what you guys are doing so you know long may it continue and I wish you every success with you know building and growing and, and developing the dub platform and it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today thank you for inviting me thanks so much Marilyn Bye-bye now. Bye.